Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to our weekly class, Navigate and Master the Prayer Book, with Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We're a few classes in at this point, and we've gotten a chance to get through a pretty broad sweep of the beginning of weekday services. And we'll start by looking at the prayer skeleton itself and looking at the overall arc of the morning up until the end of the Amidah. And we'll spend a few minutes looking at those last few brachot of the 19, at the last few blessings of the 19 blessings of the morning, right where it starts to get the same as every Amidah. And you know that it's about to be the same when we get to the paragraph that begins, Ritzei Adonai Eloheinu Bamecha Yisrael Uvi Tefilatam. Desire God, commanding God. We like to command God too in our language, in prayer. Desire God um, in your people Israel. Bamecha Yisrael Uvi Tefilatam. And in their prayer, right? in their one collective set of liturgy. When we get there, we are at identical liturgical territory in terms of the actual language in the Sidur as every other Amidah at any other time that there's an Amidah, whether it's Yom Kippur, whether it's Shabbat morning or evening, it's the same once we get back there. So we'll get up to there. We'll do a little kind of refresh back to there. Uh, and then we'll look a little bit more deeply. So let's take a look first at the um, prayer skeleton. Here we go. So this is the prayer skeleton itself. Again, going back to the beginning, we started this class by going through Birkot Shahar, the blessings of the dawn, which are the same liturgically speaking any morning that we do them, whether it's Shabbat, whether it's a weekday. We get to these two pieces right away that are highlighted in red that require us to have a minion, a quorum of 10 Jewish adults in the room in order to do it. And as I've mentioned several times, but I always want to get back to you during COVID times, we're skipping anything in red except Mourner's Kaddish, which happens to be one of the pieces that requires a minion in Birkota Shachar in the Blessings of the Dawn. And then we get to Pasuke de Zimra, which we went through at length. It begins roughly at Baruch Shamar, which ends with a blessing, starts with a poem, ends with a blessing. And then we go through a bunch of psalms on a weekday. And if it's a regular weekday, then it's a little shorter than Pesuket de Zimra on Shabbat. So it is a little bit liturgically different on Shabbat and festivals than it is on a weekday. It's shorter on a weekday morning. And we get all the way through the Song of the Sea, through Az Yashir Moshe. And that is different, both in the content liturgically in the Sidor and the words. And it's also different just as Birkot Shachar is in its Nusach and its music. So for the beginning of the service from page six to page uh, 28 in our weekday Sidor and that Slim Shalom, the, the thin Sim Shalom volume, page starting on page 10, if you're in the thicker, older one, we are in what's called weekday minor, which is the simple, if you ever want to remember it, the easy musical mnemonic for that music is the blessing for taking an aliyah to the Torah, whenever you take an aliyah to the Torah, it doesn't matter if it's a weekday or Shabbat, we always use that simple weekday minor mode, right? So Baruch Hu et Hashem Hamvorah. If that's familiar to you, it's an easy musical mnemonic to remember this. I hope I'm using the word mnemonic right. It's a way to remember it. Okay, 
And then we get to Shahri, which we got through in its entirety a few classes ago. It begins with Yishtabach, the music changes. It also is a tighter beginning to the Shacharit service than on a week than on Shabbat or a festival. On festivals, we begin at Ha'el, Mot Uzecha. On Shabbat, we begin at Shochenad. But here, on a weekday morning, we simply begin at Yishtabach, and we begin with the Yishtabach mode, this, this Ahavaraba, this Fragish mode, lots of names for it, that we use on weekday mornings. And remember that uh, Nusach is a combination of musical mode and also motif. So that pattern same musical mode as part of the Shabbat morning service, but it's that motif, that series of notes that lets you know it's Tuesday and not Saturday or Thursday and not Saturday. And we get through three blessings before and after the Shema, same structure as an evening service. We do a, a blessing about light or Chadash Al-Zihon Tahir, second blessing, Ahava Rabbah Avtanu, going all the way through to and we get to the Shema, which has three full paragraphs. And then we get through the third blessing, which ends with Michamocha and the redemption of Israel. And we talked about that blessing at length. And then we get into the Amidah. I do want to mention one thing here as we're scrolling through it structurally, that so far in all of my descriptions in the classes of the weekday Amidah, I've been describing the classic setup in which we do a full repetition of the Amidah. And in order for it to be a repetition, that means that we first had the opportunity to recite the Amidah privately. That is the classic construction of the service. The classic construction of the service is that we end Baruch Atad Hashem Ga'al Yisrael, and we go into our own private recitation, including all of the choreographed bows that we've been talking about, the two full bows in the beginning, the third half bow that we're about to look at today in Modim, which comes right after Ritze, so that's that third half bow, and one little full bow at the end there. All that choreography and all of the recitation of the full paragraphs happen in our own private recitation of the Amidah. And we go back at the end of that recitation of the Amidah to listen to the Chazan or the Shaliach or Shlichat Zibor, the person who is leading services, doing those first few paragraphs in Avot and Givurot right here all the way through the Kedusha. When we reach the Kedusha, we have a little choreography and part to play in the liturgy, right? What to say, what to do on that page. And then we can be seated as the rest of the Amidah goes through. And last week, we were talking about being in the sort of yellow light zone. We talked about green, red, and yellow lights in between in the service, times when we really don't speak, which is most of this Shacharit service. Times when you can totally talk, like when the Torah is being walked around the community, right? When people are singing and walking around with it, you can absolutely talk. And yellow light zones, which is you can whisper while people are leading up front. And during the repetition of the Amidah, that's that's totally kosher to be whispering to neighbors because you're not really responsible for anything except saying Amen at the end of each paragraph if you feel like it. And I want to add in here one idea, which is... You may have been present in some communities where it's true even on a weekday. Let's say you went to a backyard minion these days for a shiva or something, and people wanted to keep the Shacharit Amidah short. There is a construction. I won't get too much into the history of it, but it's known as the Heche or the Hoiche Kedusha, which is a partial Kedusha. And what that means is the following. It means that everybody begins the Amidah together, literally reciting every word along with the Chazan for the first few paragraphs for the Avot and Imahot for Givu wrote, and all the way through the Kedusha. 
And when they get to the end of the Kedusha, they continue on with their own private Amidah, as does everyone else. It allows us to shortcut that idea of doing the Amidah altogether without going back and doing a full repetition. It's a time saver. And in COVID times, this is actually a really critical construction to know about because there are some times where we want to, for example, gather in person, let's say in a backyard Shiva Minion. I think that's a I think it's a, a, a potent example because it's it's real for some people and it might be something that you would attend on a weekday and you would want to keep it short. And this would be a kosher way of keeping the Amidah shorter than doing a full repetition. Does anybody have questions on the structure up until there or on what it means to do a Hechli Kedusha or anything I, I didn't mention but skipped over kind of in this section of tefillah? So I grew up with the Amidah being like that at Central Synagogue in New York City in the 70s and 80s. That's how they did the Amidah. I didn't know. I didn't know about two Amidahs. Right. Right. It's it's classic. And even in the evening time, we would never do any kind of a Hechi Kedusha in the evening time because the the um, the Amidah is always done entirely in a whisper in in a classic construction. But reform liturgists since a long time ago. I don't know the whole history of it. I don't know if this is true since the 1850s or, or later than that. Um, they'd have to look it up. It's been the case that even in the evening time, some of the Amidah would be done out loud. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's sort of the, the consistent construction. There also, you wouldn't have experienced that difference either, right, Annie? Like it would, it would have been a little bit out loud even in the evening. I never saw it anywhere other than the beginning was out loud and then it was silent. They were yeah. whispering. Yeah. Yeah, And it comes from a really authentic uh, place and tradition. It's great. Um, in the ideal sense, we would always do a full repetition to give people a chance for their own private Amidah. And then for somebody to repeat it such that they could serve as literally the Shaliyah or Shlichat Zibor, somebody to do it for those who wouldn't know otherwise, and they can fulfill their obligation by saying Amen to it. That's great. And there are legitimate reasons to shortcut as well. So, um, Steve, it looked like you had something. Uh, just talking about the, uh, the Nusach. Um, the the weekday the weekday nusach it's the same all the way through um, the service for the weekday and then on Shabbat is is, is Shabbat nusach completely different all the way through that service or do we do some weekday nusach in the pesukei de Zimra on Shabbat or is it completely different on weekday and then completely different on Shabbat like it's a complete split the Euro- Eastern European tradition is that there is a different nusach for the Birkota Shachar and Pesuket de Zimra block for the beginning of Shacharit pre-Eladon on Shabbat and uh, and up until the weekday Amidah on weekdays. And then a third set of Nusach that you switch to on Shabbat, we switch to it after Eladon. On weekdays, we switch to it actually in the repetition of the Amidah. So there are always three Nusachot that we go to, you know, one, two, three in a row. And then you are going to see even today when we get to it that we switch back to the service that, that was our warm-up services. Our cool-down services have the same nusach. So on a weekday morning, we go from the the weekday minor, the Baruch HaTah Adoshem Elokeinu Melech Olam Asher Natan Lesech Lidina Tavchim Bin Yom Evein Laila. That's for the beginning of Birchot HaShachar and even Baruch Shemar Vehe'ah Olam Baruch Hu. We switch to the second nusach at Yishabach Shimcha La'ad Malkeinu and that goes all the way through, I'm highlighting it here on the page, all the way up and through Ga'al Yisrael. 
And then when we get to the repetition of the Amida, we switch to the weekday pentatonic mode, five-tone mode, the Baruch Atah Adoshem, Elokeinu Velokei Avoteinu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. So those are the three on weekdays. There's a different series of three on Shabbat, and it switches at a slightly different place, but it's the same construct, and they, it's just totally different music for each. Yeah? Is that, is that well summer? There's no way you're memorizing that. That took like five years of cantorial school for me to get down. But but you can listen back to it. <laughs> um, well, no, there's, so there's just there's no uh, you're not going to hear weekday Nusa, any of those three. You're not going to hear them on Shabbat. It's going to be three different. If you're in a place where Nusach is prized to the degree that it's that people are held to that standard, sure. I know many synagogues where the people who do Birkota Shachar and Pesuke de Zimra are beloved members of the community who hold by a somewhat authentic idea, kind of Beit Mizrashi feel, that the that that's kosher on a weekday and on a Shabbat morning. And we're not kicking an 89-year-old off of our bima at any point on a Shabbat morning even, right? A beloved person who might have that or some other authentic, different something, you know. There is a, a thing that happens, I would say, way more often in Orthodox circles, but it does also happen in conservative circles where there is a re-Orthodoxing with a lowercase o. There's, there's a re-Orthodoxy, a, a sense of Orthodoxy around like, ah, this is the right Nusach to be used um, in a in a certain place, and it's gotten kind of stricter and stricter. And I don't think that people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s in these classic institutions, I'll put it in the positive, I think that many of them would say, I don't know, we were never quite so strict about what music this, that and the other. So I claim, you know, I'll, I'll claim from the cantorial tradition, like, well, I happen to know that this was like, I have music notated from Lithuania and Poland and whatever, that this goes to this and that goes to that. But like, who am I to say to Bob or Bill or or Susie or whoever learned it, you know, that it was different. So I, I do want to trouble my answer a little bit in that way that that's it might be different for in some places. And that's why you might hear it differently. Um, Joel, did you have something? Yeah, you, I think you mentioned before that um, for Musaf, after the Kedusha, you go back and you start at the beginning, but Shachar, you don't. Correct. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so not to get too deeply into it, but the concept that we would go straight from Ga'al Yisrael into the Amidah is so strict at Shacharit that when we do a Hechi Kedusha at Shacharit, this is true weekdays and Shabbat, both. When we do a Hechi Kedusha at Shacharit, the ideal is that the people who are reciting the Amidah, not as the leader, but as a participant in the congregation of the kahal of the congregation, that those people would say each word of avot and givurot and then participate in the kedusha alongside the chazan, alongside the person leading. And then when we finish the kedusha, that everyone, whether they're the one leading or not, continues with their amidah. They're not going back to any beginning. They're not starting any beginning over again. At the musaf amidah, we don't need to hold by that. So when we get to Musaf, if we do a Hechli Kedusha, again, true either weekdays or on Shabbat, when we get to the Musaf Amidah, 
it's not a big deal for us to kind of hang back while a vote and give a vote happen, participate in the Kedusha, right? Come to attention for Kedusha. And then we go back, not the person leading, but everyone else goes back and starts their Amidah over again at Musaf. The person who's leading keeps going because they've already begun what is both their private and the public Amidah, right? So that's the difference. It's a very, very technical difference. But the ideal is if you're doing Ahli Kedusha Shahri, bottom line, ideally people are saying that the lines along with the leader from the beginning. It make it this is a bigger kind of when I teach when I teach the class on um on leading services, this is a bigger deal for that, Joel, because for, for me it's important that somebody who's leading Shahri at least lead it in such a manner that people could follow along and do every word with them. Right? There's a big difference between Baruch Ata Adoshem. Elokeinu velokei avoteinu, and a sort of like off rhythm. Baruch atado shemelokeinu velokei avoteinu elokei avraham elokei tzach velokei. No one can. They're not doing it along. I'm not inviting them to do it along with me if I do it that way. Um, great. So follow up question. Yes, follow up. Go for it. So I assume Mincha would go by the Musaf standard. Exactly. Mincha would go by the Musaf standard. Shacharit is the exception because we're trying to smooch. We're trying to stick together the Ga'al Yisrael and the, and the Amidah. You're right. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That's like, a, that's like the intermediate level twist on this, right? Maybe even advanced. Um, great. So I want us to take a look at the end of the Amidah actually in the Sidor together because right, we got kind of up through there. You didn't miss much about navigating. We just talked about the construction of the middle paragraphs last week, if you weren't here last week, but you can listen back to think about the construction of those paragraphs. We're going to go and look at the end paragraphs and talk about how we navigate that end there most days and then on Torah reading days. And then we'll come back to the Torah service if we have more time. But we're marching along, so we might have time for that. So I'll stop this screen share. And I will switch over to uh, sharing the Sidor itself. We are going to start on page 41 in the weekday for in the weekday only Slim Shalom. But I'm going to share it on the screen either way. So you can look with me. So like I said, this is where we rejoin the liturgical structure of every other Amidah ever. Ritze is where we come back together, except the prayer of your people, Israel, as they translate it here, okay? And we get to this Ritzei paragraph at the top here. Utihi l'ratzon tamid avodat Yisrael. Any Amecha. chance this can be a little bigger? Yeah, yeah. Let me close this thing. I'll make it bigger. I'll zoom in on the Hebrew here, and we'll. I just wanted to make the English still sort of accessible. So this is, can you see it okay? Great. So... We go through and may it be for the, your will, for the will of the universe, Tamid forever, the work of Israel, your people. This whole paragraph here is done, as you can see in the English, on Rosh Chodesh and Chol HaMoed. Rosh Chodesh is the first of a new month. Chol HaMoed is the intermediate day of a festival which would fall on a weekday. To this paragraph, which we lovingly call Ya'ale the Yavo for short, because those are the first words following the constructed paragraph. I want to point this out right now. Everybody, uh, can you picture? 
Maybe you may not be able to picture that. I may have to describe this for you. I wish I had a picture of it. I should have prepared one. In most chapel spaces, certainly at Bethlehem and in many synagogues, there's like a wall chart situation where the gabai of the space, the person responsible, might change, flip around the cards on that wall to indicate what time of a year it is for the things that have switched in the tefillah and the prayer. In the beginning of the Amidah, we had Mashiv HaRuach Umarid HaGashem or Marid HaTal. Sometimes the year we say one thing, other times the year we say the other. That was way back on page 36. We also have the Tain Tal the Matali Vracha or the Tain Bracha. In one of the middle paragraphs of the Amidah, we have a blessing that we only say part of the year starting on December 4th, 5th. You'll see it in the Sidor. And those are indicated on that wall chart. Here too, if it were a day where we would say Ya'alei V'yavo, that's the shorthand you would see on the wall. It would say Ya'alei V'yavo that we added into our prayers that day. Ya'alei V'yavo is called that because they're skipping over these three words, which you might hear all the time in tefillah. It doesn't make sense to call this the Eloheinu V'elohei Avotenu because we have lots of Eloheinu V'elohei Avotenus, right? Our God and God of our ancestors, just like in the beginning of the Amidah. But Ya'alei V'yavo, you should lift up and you should come and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole paragraph of of, of commands to um, asking God uh, to lift up a special occasion. You'll notice <laughs> that there are only three indicated insertions in this prayer on the special days. Rosh HaChodesh HaZef or Rosh Chodesh, because that can fall on a weekday. On Sukkot, Chag HaSukkot HaZeh, and on Pesach, Chag HaMatzot HaZeh. What about Shavuot? Use some logic. Why is Shavuot not here? Because you would be saying the special Shavuot prayer. Right. Or another way of saying that is, there is no such thing as a weekday with Shavuot. You're absolutely right, Denise. There's no such thing as a weekday with Shavuot because there are no, there's no Chol HaMoed Shavuot. Shavuot is a two-day holiday. Unlike the other two biblically fixed pilgrimage festival holidays that are referenced here, Sukkot and Pesach, you have interim days that can fall on weekdays, right? But we don't have that with Shavuot. Shavuot is just one day or two, depending on whether you're in Israel or or in Chutz La'aretz. And this Sidor is designed for outside of the land of Israel, Chutz La'aretz. And it's not here because if it were Shavuot, we would be praying out of a Shabbat and festivals Sidor entirely, right? Because we would just be in a festival Amidah. So it doesn't exist here. just want to point out that this is how this is constructed, right? It doesn't include anything that you don't need, ideally. Um, we'll get back to that thought in a second. Uh, most days are not the first of the month or an intermediate day of a holiday. So most days you're skipping this whole paragraph and going back to the regularly sized font of and then this blessing, the one who will cause their dwelling presence, the Shechina, to return to Zion. And we get to Modim. I want to talk about the choreography of Modim. In our private Amidah, we always recite the right-hand paragraph here, the larger font paragraph, that is the primary paragraph. And we also do a half bow, a bow from the waist here. 
So if you're in your private recitation of the Amidah, you're standing. If your body allows you to do that, you're standing. And you're making a half bow and you're reciting this right-hand paragraph. In the repetition of the Amidah, if we're not doing Ahli Kedusha, if we have a full repetition of the Amidah, during the time, at the same time that the leader is reading the right-hand paragraph, very Jewish, the rabbis could not resolve which of these two Modim paragraphs should be said. And therefore, their compromise was, while the leader is saying this paragraph, we read this left-hand paragraph. It is different. Starts with the same three words, same four words, five words, but then it splits off. We also do the half bow in the repetition. It is the only choreography, physical choreography, apart from the Kedusha that's done in the private Amidah. The rest of the bows are skipped. They're for the person leading. But here, we actually have choreography. We half bow while we recite this left-hand paragraph in tandem with the leader reciting the right-hand paragraph. Any questions on that? Besides, why why did they choose such a weird custom? Because they're so funny? Okay, great. When we get through that page... And the leader indicates that they're finished by saying out loud, Meolam kivinu lach. I finished this paragraph. We go to the next page. And the next page is this very funny thing. The next page is an entire page inserted for three occasions. Hanukkah, which is, as you know, eight days. So there are eight possible days that's recited on. Purim, uh, and that would only be on one day. And Yom Ha'atzma'ut, the birthday of the state of Israel, the Independence Day of the state of Israel, also one day. So 10 days out of the year, this page is relevant, and the rest of the time it is not. We insert something called Al-Hanisim. It's inserted both in our private Amidah and in the repetition. During the repetition of the Amidah, we don't participate at all. There's not even an Amen, unless you're singing this really beautiful tune uh, to you know, somewhere stuck in the middle of this paragraph. I sometimes sing Mahasaur to this paragraph and people sing along. It's great. They don't have to. Everyone understand that? Most days, every 355-ish days a year, we skip it. We go to the next page. And we start at the beginning. Another line about praising and lifting up God's name. Several days out of the year, and during the 10 days between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say this line, otherwise you skip it, and we go straight to, In your private Amidah, and the leader and reciting their Amidah, this is the last full bow. It's hidden. For some reason, nobody who edits a Sidor seems to indicate that we bow here. I just write it in, in every seed door that I have. This is a full bow. How good is your name, your, the, 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 the goodness of your name, and to you it is pleasant, to praise. And then the following. If you're in your private Amidah, we entirely skip the priestly blessing. We do not do the priestly blessing in our private Amidah. We just skip it. We don't do it. In the repetition of the Amidah, the person who is leading is trying to engage the congregation in their line, which is Kenihiratzon, thus may it be the will of God. So this is the threefold priestly blessing straight out of the Torah. So we've got a biblical quote, kind of a blessing, but it's basically a biblical quote. And we repeat this line, which is not in the Torah, Kenihiratzon, at least not to my knowledge. Kenihiratzon doesn't appear like that in the Torah. Certainly not here, but I don't think anywhere. We add this liturgical 
agreeing language. So the leader sings, they even have choreography, they bow left and right and center. We don't, we just can stay seated and say these lines. After them, we say, they say, and we say, so that is our line three times. We have a thing to do. No physical choreography, just that liturgy that we repeat. Side note, I haven't done this for every piece of everything in davening, but I will mention here, we do not do the priestly blessings, whether when we are in the home of a mourner, if we're in a Beit Avel, if we're at a Shiva Minyan and we're in the home of a mourner, we do not do the priestly blessings. There are some things that just the Avel themselves, the person in mourning, doesn't say when they're leading. And there are some things that are not said at all, no matter who's leading, whether it's the rabbi or a friend of the mourner or a kid or whatever. We don't say this no matter what. I say this out loud. Again, this is sort of an intermediate twist on this class for those who are paying attention to this. I want you to be able to pay attention and... Uh, not, you know, heaven for forbid, correct the person who's leading and be like, oh, don't skip the priestly blessing because it is a thing that we skip in the house of mourners. A couple of things that we do. This is one of the things that we skip. We do seem shalom and the blessing that ends the whole Amidah. This note here at the bottom is that during the 10 days of tshuva, again, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we have this special section that kind of comes in right here after Bishlomecha, and we finish with a different blessing, Oseha Shalom. But most days of the year, this is not relevant. Most of the time, we're just doing Sim Shalom. And when we're in the 10 days of Tshuva, and when it's Hanukkah, and when it's Yom HaAtzma'ud, and when it's Yiprosh Chodesh, it is the job of the Gabayim, it's the job of the rabbis in the space, the cantor in the space, whoever, to be very clear, right? Not to let you get lost in there, right? So you're, you're going to know there's going to be an announcement to do those things if it's a special day. Otherwise, Assume that we skip those. And that's the end of the Amidah. It's the end of the Amidah pro- privately, except for this little private prayer recitation, which you might say, and you might just say your own private prayers at the end. Just pause right there after, Bashalom, privately whispered, and then you do your, just say some nice private prayers. That's all these are. These are just like nice things that some people like to say at the end of the Amidah. You can say whatever it is you want at the end of the Amidah. If somebody is leading the Amidah, they really will end at this. You may see them then back up three steps, bow left, bow right, bow center. They might do that while they say one little line. Don't worry about it. That's the end of the Amidah for them. Any questions on that before we go to our friend Tachanun? Great. We are going to talk about Tachanun in the construction that assumes, right, and the idea that assumes that we are uh, in a minion <laughs> in person and that we've done a full repetition of the Amidah. So if you aren't doing a full repetition of the Amidah, this is slightly different with a Hechli Kedusha, right, where everyone's kind of on their own, continuing on their own. And at the end, Tachanun instructions are slightly different, like the way that you start is slightly different. But here's how it normally works. We finish the repetition of the Amidah. There are some days, many days, depends on what your minion strives for, doing more Tachanun or finding an excuse not to do Tachanun. On very happy and very sad occasions, we do not do Tachanun. There's a whole list. It even has it at the bottom of one of the pages here. It probably tells you which, hang on, let's see where it says. 
Uh, no, here's the whole list. It's so crazy. Look at this. Look at this list. It's insane. Tachanun is omitted at Shacharit on the following occasions. We, this podcast would go too long if I read them all out loud. But here they are. <laughs> They're, you know, it's like you could find an excuse any day not to do Tachanun. Okay. But here's the idea of Tachanun. It is a private supplication that here's the rule. You ready? I don't know if you knew this. This might be brand new to some of you. This might be slightly new to others of you. It includes the choreography of putting our head down on our non-defillin arm at shacharit and non-dominant arm when it's not shacharit, or to be more specific, our non-defillin arm when we're wearing tefillin and our non-dominant arm any other time. Okay, we don't put our head down on our tefillin; we put it down on on so therefore on our dominant arm on on those days. It involves the choreography of putting our head down for the first part of it, of, of Tachanun, if we are in a room with a Sefer Torah. That's the rule. If you are somewhere where there is not a Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll in the room, we do not put our heads down. We just recite the liturgy. Okay? Everyone got that? Tachanun begins immediately following the end of the repetition of the Amidah. There's no... Chatzikadosh or anything that happens before that. Okay, Tachanun happens there. Tachanun starts in a slightly different place on Mondays and Thursdays. Okay, I'm not just going to say Torah reading days, but specifically Mondays and Thursdays. Specifically Mondays and Thursdays. Tachanun starts in a different place. It starts a little earlier. It's a little longer, which is very counterintuitive because everything that I've told you up until now is that Jews are very concerned that they may have somewhere to be after davening. So we should keep things concise. So you would think that on a day when there is Torah reading, that it would be shorter, but it's, it's counterintuitive. Okay. So it's a little longer on Torah reading days. It even tells you, uh, sorry, on Mondays and Thursdays specifically. Okay. So specifically here, continue. Hello. Hello, my children. Hang on one second. Welcome back. I'm teaching a class. How do you do? I do great. Thank you so much for saying hi to everybody. Will you guys head out with, with Abba, please? Yeah. Thank you so much. I love seeing you. <laughs> All right. Uh, the best part of the podcast. Um, so what I was going to zoom in to show you is that it tells you exactly at the end of the Amidah, but you have to look to the next page. right? If I'm, I'm helping you with the navigation here. Normally, the repetition of the Amidah ends on page 43, right, where the reader finishes here. And it, you have to turn to the next page, even though we're done with the Amidah, for it to tell you the Tachanun begins on page 59 on Mondays and Thursdays and 62 on other days. On Mondays and Thursdays, which are our market days, our Torah reading days, we'll talk about that when we get to the Torah service writ large. On Mondays and on Thursdays, we start standing then we put our head down partway through, and then we stand up again at the end. On all other days, when we start on page 62, like once we get to page 62, we start with our heads down, and then we stand up. Again, all of this is dependent on being in a room with a Torah scroll. So when we're doing this on Zoom, or when you're just doing a davening on your own, you don't do that. Okay, does that make a lot of sense? Okay, so we're going to go and take a look at it together. Go page, ba, 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 ba. we're gonna skip ahead to page fifty nine. Sorry, this can take a little scrolling. Nope. Yeah, I can't see it behind your faces. One second. 
<laughs> uh, let's see. Let's have to skip over Hallel for it. We'll get back to Hallel later. Pum, Cain, we'll skip that. We'll talk about that later. Here we go. Here's Tachanun. Okay, page 59. So we begin standing on Mondays and on Thursdays. I'm going to zoom out just so you can see the layout of it. You don't have to look at the Hebrew itself. We begin standing. You pick one of these paragraphs to say, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, right? You pick one of these to recite. Dalit hey, go through that. When you finish reciting a paragraph, then we put our heads down. This is on a Monday or Thursday. If it's any other day, then we're starting here and we start with our head down. See, it says here, when a safer Torah is present, when a Torah scroll is present, those wearing tefillin, those wearing the phylacteries on their left arm, rest their head on the right forearm. Others rest their head on the left forearm. Okay. And we go down. We recite one of these paragraphs on this page. And once you finish with that, we stand up at the top of page 62. Some places even sing these paragraphs like Shomer, Shomer Yisrael, or Shomer, Shomer Yisrael. Nice melodies. So some places they might recite it, some not. You can get a sense the Tachanun is halfway through then when the person who is leading stands up. They're not done with Tachanun, but they're halfway through. Does that make sense? Right, if it's any day when it's just pages 62 and 63, halfway through, they're going to stand up and then they're going to come back and finish right here. And they're going to be back if they know their Nusach cold, if they know their Jewish musical modes cold, they're going to do it in weekday minor. Oh, who's reinu elohei shenu al devar kevod shemecha v'hatzilenu v'chaper al-chatotenu l'ma'an shemecha. Later on, in another class, not today, we're going to talk about exceptional days where we recite the things that I scrolled past, where we recite Hallel, which means we're not reciting Tachanun, or where we recite Avinu Malkenu. We might still be doing Tachanun, okay? So we're skipping those things for right now because most days of the week, most regular days when we're davening in the morning, when we're doing a Shacharit in the morning, we finish the Amidah. And when we're done with the Amidah, we go right to Tachanun. Any questions on that? How Tachanun is constructed? What's the story? Great. When we finish with Tachanun, <laughs> we go to the Chatzit Kaddish. Okay. Also, sticking with weekday, we're back to weekday minor for this page. So you're going to hear Yikadal Vikadash Mirabah This is whenever you see a Kaddish, it's like a divider in a binder. It's telling you that you're going to a new section. If it's not a Monday or a Thursday or any other day when we might read Torah, when we finish with Chatzit Kaddish here, what happens next? Do you remember? Let's look at the prayer skeleton. Okay. I'm going to stop the screen share for a minute. Right. So it goes Amidah, Tachanun Chatzit Kaddish on normal days. Forget about Halal right now. Don't worry about the special days. Most days. We go from Amidah to Tachanun to this Chatzit Kaddish to, let's take a look at the prayer skeleton together. Hang on. Here is the Torah service. I'm skipping over that. Oh, that's funny. This leaps over to the page numbers from the Shabbat Sidor. I guess I, I didn't anticipate us getting here that fast, so I didn't switch over the page numbers. Uh, that's very funny. So I will fix that. Um, so forget about the skeleton for just a second. I'll fix that for next week. Um, let's go back to the C door and I'm going to show you. I'll page through and show you. 
So forget about what I said there. When we finish the Chatzy Kaddish, if it were a Torah service day, if it's Monday or Thursday, we would do this little paragraph. We're skipping that for now. We may come back to it today if we have time. But this would be the Torah service starting on page 65. You would page through it all the way. You just have to trust me to page 78. So if you skip over all the way to page 77, you'll see the end of the Torah service. Do you see that there? Hang on. 70. 77. See, this is the end of the Torah service. You believe me, right? Seder Kriyata Torah, the Torah service. Let me zoom out so you can see it in English too. Right? Torah service. This is the end of it. Page 78, we go back to Ashrei. As soon as you get to this Ashrei, you see Siyum HaTefilah, concluding prayers. We are almost at the end of weekday services. Most days. Most days. Okay? So we do Ashrei, which you know, you're familiar with. We talked about it earlier. And then we have this paragraph that we do most days. It's from Psalm 20, the fun little one. We do skip that on certain days. So you got to pay attention because sometimes we skip it. Again, it's one of these things where it's like there are so many you skip it that there's actually a list of them. You see at the bottom of the page here. But you shouldn't worry about that list unless you want to be a smart aleck and know faster than your gabi in the room. Just wait for them to announce if you're skipping it or not. We also skip it in a house of mourning. It's one of the other things we skip in a house of mourning. So we do this paragraph. And we recite it to ourselves. It's one of these things where we go back and forth. The leader starts us and then comes back in at the end. Hey, makaru v'nafalu. Let me finish the paragraph. And then we go to the next page. This is the last part. This is Uva Litzion. And this should look familiar because this is exactly like the Kedusha de Sidra, the little Kedusha that we did right at the beginning of Shachri. You remember this? It's the page before the first blessing of Shachri between Baruchu and the first blessing, or Hadash, we have a Kedusha de Sidra. It's just like this. In this case, there are three little phrases that the leader is going to say in Hebrew, and we're going to get catch on to them. And what's unfortunate is that they're not bolded in here, so you kind of have to mark them for yourself so that you know what's being drawn out of you as a participant. So it happens right here. The first one happens here. V'ata kadosh yoshev tehilot Yisrael. The leader goes like this. And they're prompting you to go, And then you continue in the paragraph until they begin at, It's about nine lines down here, something like that. You see this right here? You don't have to say that line out loud. All you do is, We do that. And then we say all together when we get there or staggered if the person leading gets there before you. This page is such a mystery if you don't know what's happening. Like if you don't know what's being prompted of you in services, you kind of got to know. The one who knows will know. It's a great Jewish phrase, right? The, the one who gets it, gets it. So if you know what you're doing here, they're being prompted to do these three lines. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Baruch, Kevod Adonai, Mim, Komo. And the second to last line of that long paragraph, Adonai, Everyone continues privately in a whisper until the next page. 
until the bottom where you get to this chatima. That's what the leader is going to do, and you're done. This is the end of Shachri. All you've got left is Kadish Shalem, Aleinu, some Psalms, and Mourner's Kaddish on a normal day. Okay, this is really the end. People start taking their tefillin off here, basically. Right? They, take, they take their gear off here. So next page is going to be Kadish Shalem. We're sticking with the weekday. We're back to that cool down music. All the same. Here's Kadish Shalem. Again, it's your signal, right? We're switching the like, it's a little divider in the binder. You're done. We're doing the full Kadish Shalem. Uh, then Aleinu. Right? We begin together. There's a bow in Aleinu in this offset line right here. And then we stand up. It's a full bow. Right? That happens at this line. And then it depends on the congregation you're in. Some places will try to insert any psalms that they're going to do, including the psalm for the day, which could have also been kosher done at the beginning of services in, in Pesuke de Zimra. Some communities do it there. Right? And some do it at the end. If you're going to insert a psalm there or multiple psalms, like it's a special time of the year when you're inserting other psalms, some communities try to maximize the number of mourners' cottages they're doing, and some try to minimize it. If you're trying to minimize it, then what you'll do is even before you get to the mourners' cottage, you can insert all the psalms right there and then do mourners' cottage once. But you'll find some communities that do it twice. In our community, we at least do it twice when we're in person. We do this mourners' cottage. Then we do the psalm for the day, which unlocks us doing another mourner's Scottish. That's how we normatively do it. Like if, if we were in Pilch Hall, normal, daily minion, it's Wednesday, it's Friday, whatever, we would do mourner's Scottish, then the psalm for a weekday, and then another mourner's Scottish. In our community, if there are other psalms to stick in there, we stick them in there between those two cottages. There are other communities which are trying to maximize the number of mourner's cottages that can be said, where they'll put a mourner's cottage between each of those. That's also kosher. But what you'll usually see is mourner's cottage, a psalm or any other psalms we're saying, and then come back to the same mourner's cottage. And that's the end. We don't adon alum, we don't yigda, we got to get out of there. That's the end of a normal weekday service. Any questions on that? On any of what I just said, it usually takes about 45 minutes if there's nothing special happening. Sometimes a little less if someone's davening quickly and more if they're davening slowly. And it takes longer if you got to add some other stuff in. Should we go back and spend some time on the Torah service? I think it's worth spending time on that Torah service. Let's go back to it. Let's go back to page 65. So let's resituate ourselves. We're done with Tachanun. Or maybe we even skipped Tachanun that day because it's a special day. And now we're on Torah service. When do we do a Torah service? What are some days we do Torah services on? Mondays and Thursdays. Great. Mondays and Thursdays. So that we shouldn't go more than three days without Torah. When else? Rosh Chodesh. Great. Rosh Chodesh. Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Great. And a whole bunch of other holidays. We've got Cholam Oed days we read Torah. So there's Torah. It's not just Mondays and Thursdays. You've got a whole bunch of other occasions when we read Torah too. Anytime we do Torah service... We add in this Torah service right here. It's the same structure. If it were a Rosh Chodesh or another day when there's Hallel, Hallel comes before this instead of Tachanun. Okay? We're not going to look at that today. We'll probably look at that next week before we wrap up on morning services. Make sense? So 
We're not worrying about hollow right now. We're just going right to the Torah service. And on Mondays and Thursdays, there's not normally hollow. It starts standing. Notice that on Shabbat, we don't necessarily start standing because on Shabbat, we start with Ein Kamocha. It's a whole other paragraph of stuff. Here on a weekday Torah service, we start with a, what would be the second paragraph on a Shabbat. We start with the ark already open and therefore we're standing already if we can do that, right? The classic Nusach here happens to be identical to High Holy Day Torah trope. So it's Vayhi bin Soaharon, Vayomer Moshe, Kuma Adonai via Futsuoivecha, via Nusu Misanecha mi Panecha, which happens to be Mercha Tipecha Munach et Nachtaha, Himitzion Tetse Torah Udavar Adonai Mirushalahim. If you've ever heard that, that's the classic Nusach. That's actually High Holy Day trope. It's kind of cool, right? The the notes that we use to, the cantillation we use to read Torah on High Holy Day. This is also curtailed. On Shabbat, we insert this whole other prayer and on Yom Tov as well. On Shabbat, we have Be'an Arachites. On Yom Tov, we have these other two lines that we sometimes do three times at a, three lines at a time, right? El, um, Adonai Adonai Rachum Bechanun, and also Here, we don't have any of that. We skip right to taking the Torah of the Ark. We don't even do Shema and Echad. We go right to Gadlu. But if you know the Torah service on a Shabbat, then you know that this is just a contraction of that Torah service, right? You can see how these are bits and pieces in the same exact order as they appear on Shabbat, but they're contracted. We just do Vayahibin Soharon. Take the Torah of the Ark. It's held by the person leading. God, Lulad, and IET, they bow. You don't have to say it with them, but you could say that line with them. And then we sing these couple of lines, usually, I want to reiterate what I said before, which is green light. You can just chat. You don't have to say these lines. I mean, unless you like singing. You can sing lines. But you can chat. You can talk to people. It's all good. We march the Torah around in non-COVID times. We take the Torah. We put it on, we'll, we'll come back next week maybe to what we do in COVID times during Torah services, okay? We put the Torah on the table. We don't usually recite this line here, the Avarachamim. And then we begin the Torah service. How many aliyot are there usually on a weekday, on a normal Monday and Thursday? How many aliyot? Oh, I see lots of threes. Yes, we have three aliyot on a weekday. Great. We have three aliyot on a weekday and... What are those three aliyot made up of? Like, where do they get, where, what's that reading from? Right? What three aliyot, what lines of Torah are read on a Monday or a Thursday? The first aliyah from Shabbat? The first aliyah from the Shabbat to come. Next week. Yeah. Right, exactly. So we are anticipating the next week's Torah reading. The way that it works is this. On Shabbat afternoon already, we're thinking about the next Shabbat. So starting on Shabbat afternoon... That's the first time this happens. And then Monday morning and Thursday morning as well. We take the full first Aliyah, meaning if we were reading the whole Torah portion of whatever it is, like this coming week, are we up to, do we do Chayesara? What are we up to at this point? No, we're up to Chayesara this week. Okay, I'm just, I'm losing track of time. Um, right, it's Chayesara week. Right, right, right. It's Chayesara week. So starting this past Shabbat afternoon, we took the first full Kriya. Forget about triennial and shortening readings. The first full Aliyah, number one. And it is subdivided by three, and it becomes three aliyot. We do that at Shabbat Mincha. 
We do that at Rate Shabbat afternoon. We do that on Monday morning and we do that on Thursday morning. That's always how it's done. That's what those three aliyot are. Those are fixed breakdowns. Those are traditional fixed breakdowns. No one's making up those breakdowns. Those are fixed breakdowns. If you have the pocket version, the little blue uh, C-door, the little old, like thick, tiny C-door, maybe the only fantastic thing about that production is very tiny and thick and big and whatever. One of the excellent things about it, or maybe one of the only excellent things about it is that in the back, is all the weekday reading, including the breakdowns by the first, second, and third aliyot. Okay, um, it's otherwise very hard to locate those breakdowns. You have to have like the the luach, the the book that the gabayim used to break it down, because it's not an easy thing to spot or find anywhere online. I can point you to lots of places to find Torah breakdowns online. There are a couple of random synagogues that have like done breakdowns and posted them online, so you can find them, but uh, not easy to find in a normal sidor. The gabai who is at the Torah table. So let's talk about the choreography in the room. In the room, you're going to have two gabaim, two people who are responsible for making sure that the reading is accurate and making sure that all the choreography happens appropriately at the Torah table. And those are called gabaim. A gabai or a gabaim is also the name for the people who are sort of stage managing on the floor around a synagogue. They might be one and the same people, and they might be two or three different people who are performing these tasks. But at the Torah table, you're going to have two Torah Gabayim. You're going to have a Gabay Rishon and a Gabay Sheni. The Gabay Sheni is a little bit got a, a little bit quieter job. They're mostly covering the Torah between all the Oat, uncovering it. Maybe they're responsible for Chatzik Kaddish. Like we, they've got some responsibilities, but not as many as the Rishon. Okay, Rishon means first, Sheni means second. So Gabai Rishon, the first Gabai, who is typically standing to the left-hand side of the Torah reader, if you can picture it, whereas the Gabai Shani, the second Gabai, is standing to their right-hand side. The Gabai Rishon, the first Gabai, is responsible for the liturgy and the calling up of the people to the Aliyah. So if you're given the first Aliyah, you have to wait for them to do this extra little bit of liturgy. This is whole paragraph. And then they're going to say Yamod or Tamod. They're going to call you up by your Hebrew name. And then they're going to follow that line with Baruch Shanatan Torah And ideally, you as a congregant are paying attention to doing one line only. If you don't have an Aliyah, if you're not the Gaba, you've got one line to pay attention to. It's a beautiful quote from the Torah. And you are the ones who are sticking like glue. You're the ones who are clinging to God, your Lord. Kind of a vague line translated lots of different ways. Living all of you today. It's a, it's a lovely line. I love people being able to say it. So if you want to learn one line in the liturgy, is it transliterated here? Yes, it is. You are the stickers to God have been kept in life to this. And then the person who is taking the Aliyah to the Torah, who may or may not be a different individual than the person reading the Torah, chanting from the Torah, the person who is taking the kibud, the honor of taking an Aliyah to the Torah, recites the blessings. In non-COVID times, the choreography goes like this. 
That person stands to the right of the Torah reader if it's a different person than the Torah reader. They stand to the right of the Torah reader. They touch and kiss the spot where the Torah reader indicates that they're going to begin reading. They touch and kiss that spot with anything that's appropriate to touch to the Torah, like could be a garment, it could be a cloth, it could be the seat of your talit, it could be the bindle, the thing that we wrap around the Torah, any of those things. Give it a kiss and then recite these blessings. And our role as a congregation is to respond with the lines. These are the same lines as the Baruchu. So they say, Baruchu et Hashem Hamvorah, and we respond with, Baruch Hashem Hamvorah Leolam Bahed. And if they're confident and know what they're doing, they're going to repeat that line, Baruch Hashem Vorach Leolam Bahed. And then they're going to recite this first paragraph here and end at, Notain HaTorah. There, some people make a choice to add a little physical choreography to this. There's none mandated, but some people taking an aliyah to the Torah actually bow at Baruch Okay, sure. And some people like to lift up the Torah at the end of the blessing a little bit from the from the Eitzim, from the handles, and saying, no tain ha-Torah, because God is the giver of Torah. Nice little gesture to lift up the Torah. Okay. Once that person takes the blessings, again, if this is a different person than the person reading the Torah, it's a, a separate person taking the honor, it's a kindness, it's polite to hold on Remember, they're standing to the right of the Torah reader. If they hold on to the eights, to the handle that the scroll is attached to, the cloth, the actual Torah, um, written on Torah leather, if they hold on to that that eights that looks like a bowling pin, it keeps the Torah from rolling back on the hand of the reader, right? So imagine that you're a Torah reader. Most people's dominant Torah reading hand is going to be their right hand. I know it takes a little bit of imagination, but... Picture this for a second. If a Torah reader is using their right hand to hold the yad, to hold the guiding, usually metal piece that they're going to use to read the Torah, they might have their left hand free to hold that eight, that piece of wood still. But then the right hand, the right part of the the scroll is going to roll and bump against their arm, particularly if it's at a tight spot in the Torah. So the kind thing to do when you finish saying, no tain ha Torah, if you're taking the aliyah, is to hold on to that eights with your left hand to keep it from bumping into the arm of the reader. Not every reader is right-handed. Not every reader needs it. Some readers actually like to read Torah without guiding and holding on to the two eights seem can't speak for every experience, but it's a nice thing to do to hold on. Okay. When you are at the Torah, taking an aliyah to the Torah, it is considered inappropriate and potentially forbidden, <laughs> probably forbidden for you to read along with the person reading Torah if that's a different reader. Tell me why. Why would that why would that be problematic? Do you mean read along out loud or read along full stop? Read along out loud. It's a really great question, Annie. Read along in your head is great. But why is it a problem to read along out loud? You could distract the reader. The person who is reading out loud. That's it. That's a great point. I'm thinking of something in addition to that, but you're absolutely right. The problem is this. Well, let's back up a step. This is a little bit Socratic, but let's see if we can pull this out of you. Uh, so that you so that this is, you know, um, an opportunity for you to think through the logic of this. Why are there two Gabaim at the Torah during a Torah reading primarily? Why do we put those two people up there? You want to them check to, for mistakes? Yeah, help, help protect from mistakes for the reader. Precisely. So it's a commandment for us to hear accurately from the Torah scroll, the reading from the Torah scroll. And why is why is that a challenge to get an accurate reading from a Torah scroll? No, Nekudot. 
Correct. There are no dots in the Torah. So it's missing punctuation. It's missing vowels. And it's missing the cantillation marks to tell us how to chant it, which means that a reader is probably going to make at least one mistake. Maybe not probably, but many readers will make some mistakes. And Gabaim are trained to correct the mistakes that matter, right? the ones that change the meaning of the text or do not stop the lines at the end of a sentence. So if you're standing at the Torah, taking an Aliyah to the Torah, you're looking at the same text in the Torah scroll as the person who's reading the Torah, right? And so we have we really have two problems. One is we want to hear it clearly from one voice and one voice only. We want to hear the Torah reader and the Torah reader only. And I'll add the half step that Annie said, which is it's not nice to distract the person. But also, you're not looking at the corrective text. You're not looking at the more pointillated text if you're the one who's taking the honor at the Torah. Unlikely, unless some people, while they take an honor, like to look at the book, right? But it's the Gabayim who should be doing the job of doing any, if you should hear any voices up there other than the person at the Torah, it should be the voices of the Gabayim helping them if they make a mistake. If you know the Torah reading so well that you could read along with it, you can offer to read the Torah. And I'm serious about that. Like if you if you know your Aliyah so well, because this is your, you had a Bar Mitzvah on Rosh Chodesh, you had a Bat Mitzvah on Hanukkah, whatever, you know the Torah reading, tell the Torah reader and you can offer to read the Torah, you know, if you're, that that's nice. But we should hear one voice and one voice only up there. So much so that we should only hear one voice and one voice only and only hear the corrected text, but hear the correct text from the voice of someone who's reading it from the scroll. Right? Very specifically, you want to hear the correct text, but hear it from the person who's looking at the kosher Torah scroll. So much so that it is actually prohibited to sing along with the last lines, even though everyone does it. Everyone likes to sing the last couple words to prove that they're following along in the reading. Very cute, but it's a problem because what we're supposed to hear is we're supposed to hear the text read from the kosher scroll by the one person reading and hear one voice. So... When you're standing at the scroll, but I would say at this point, that tradition is, you know, it's sort of like tip the scale. And a lot of people sing along with the last couple, couple of words. Um, so that happens for the first Aliyah. Then they are in, they're guided to touch and kiss again. And then that person says the blessings after, which are the second paragraph here. No, that happens three times that people come up. And ideally, in non-COVID times, the person who takes the first Aliyah lingers up there at the side of the Gabai for the second Aliyah. And the person up there for the second Aliyah lingers for one more Aliyah during the third Aliyah. Uh, I'll add one more thing for the day and then stop for some questions, which is that in between the second and the third Aliyot, typically in our congregation, and in many congregations, that's a spot where they do it as well. This is where we stop and do a blessing for those who are in need of healing. A Mishaberach Lecholim. Mishaberach is just shorthand. Mishaberach is the thing I told you that we don't do for Yale Viavo. It's very funny. I said we wouldn't call it Eloheinu Veloheavotenu because there are so many Eloheinu Veloheavotenus. Instead, we call it Yale Viavo. For some reason, we call Mishaberach Lecholim Mishaberach, which is funny because Mishaberach is the formulation that begins the blessing after anybody comes up to the Torah. And in a lot of congregations, this Mishaberach is done for an Ufra, for, for a baby naming, or for a bris, right? There's also Mishaberach done after those each individual Aliyah for those people. In some congregations, especially on Shabbat, Mishaberach is done individually for every person who comes up to the Torah. 
right? Every person, if you get an Aliyah of the Torah, you also get a Misha Berach, a blessing for you and for your family. So it's funny that we call it a Misha Berach because that just means me, who, she Berach, who, that they blessed. Just may the one who blessed our ancestors also bless these people. The shorthand, though, when people say the Misha Berach is they're referring to the Misha Berach Lecholim, the blessing for those in need of healing. There are lots of different customs. I want to talk about one, which is that some places they keep a list and only do the list out loud. Some places they pause at the end of the list and let people add names in. We do that on Shabbat, either out loud individually or maybe all collectively at once. At our daily minion and back in person, if God willing, we're able to get back in person again, people actually line up to say the name to the Gabai. The Gabai is not required to repeat every single name after each person gives it to them. In our community, our Gabaim happen to do that, right? You say the name, right? My, you know, Plony Ben Avraham is sick. And they'll, so you'll say Plony Ben Avraham and the Gabai will repeat Plony Ben Avraham, right? To repeat the name. They don't have to, but, but some people do. So that's one custom during the for the blessing of those in need of healing. I'll have one last note just because it's on this page. It's sitting in front of us. If, God forbid, you were to go through a really traumatic event, the kind that threatened your life and you came back from it. This, by the way, still includes childbirth to this day. If you are to go through an experience that is that traumatic, that it was as if your life were in danger and now you are no longer, the next opportunity you have to come to Torah you can, and you don't have to take an aliyah to do this. You can just do this between any aliyah, but many people ask to take an aliyah to Torah and then do this right afterwards. It's called benching gomel or birkat hagomel. The person who is reciting the blessing says the whole blessing formulation, hagomel lechayevim tovot shigomalani kol tov, and the congregation responds dependent on the gender of that individual. I don't know of a gender neutral version, but these are the, uh, I'm sure one exists out there, but in our book, it's there's either one for, uh, in the male voice or in the female voice. And they repeat, mi shigomalcha, or gimalech, male voice, female voice, plural, shigomalchem, kol tov, hu yigmolcha, hu yigmalech, or hu yigmolchem, kol tov sela. So we do that part. We bless the person back at them. I'll stop there for questions. Any thoughts or questions on the weekday on Torah service, on how Torah service functions, how things are going in COVID. Just to recap on the three uh, aliyot. Yeah, and how it's broken down. Right. And you mean on the content of what's read? Exactly, like the content and sounds like it starts on on, um, uh, afternoon, Shabbat, right? So the the Mincha and and then flows into the week. Correct. So what happens is, that you got it exactly right, Ed. What happens is we finish up Shabbat morning, and that's the last time we read the Parsha for that whole week. Shabbat afternoon, we go to the next week's Parsha, we look ahead to it, and we look at the first of the seven aliyot that are broken down for that whole um, for that whole Parsha, that whole Torah portion. We take that first aliyah, and there is a traditional breakdown of that aliyah into a first, a second, and a third aliyah. And then those are given to the first, the person taking the first aliyah, second, third aliyah. Taking the honor of an aliyah does not require you to read from the Torah. Right? Taking the honor of an aliyah means you're saying the blessings up at the Torah. You're being called up by your Hebrew name. You're reciting the blessings of the Torah and then, and then the blessings after the aliyah as well, but not necessarily chanting from it. The reason why I said if it's a different person than the person who's reading is that sometimes it's the case 
that the person who's reading Torah also takes an aliyah to the Torah, right? So they can say the blessings, then read from the Torah itself, and then say the blessings after. You probably see this each week, Ed, when you're watch if you watch um, an actual minion live in person where we're reading from a scroll at a bar bat mitzvah, the bar bat mitzvah kid each week, if they're going to be reading the haftarah, this is getting in the depths of Shabbat morning services for a second, but, but stick with me, on Shabbat morning, whoever is reading haftarah, which in, in a lot of B'nai Mitzvah cases is the Bar Bat Mitzvah kid. That kid is going to take the Maftir Aliyah, the honor of the Aliyah, and they're often also reading the Torah, right? So you hear them go, and the congregation responds, and then they finish, and they go right to reading the Torah, right? So sometimes it's the same person doing it. Most of the time, though, especially on weekdays, there's somebody who's assigned to be Torah reader and they're not taking the honor of any of those aliyot. They're just reading for them. Yeah, Steve. So on the uh, the modim, when it's we do it privately, we do the half bow at the beginning, the full bow at the end. And when the reader is doing it, we also do that along with the reader. We just do the half bow. We don't do the full bow again. The half so, bow at the beginning with the reader. Okay. Yeah. So uh, an, another pointed way to put it is, during the repetition of the Amidah, there are only two physical pieces of choreography. One is to put our feet together and stand at attention if our bodies allow us to do that at the whole Kedusha, right? At the beginning, that third blessing, and then we're seated for most of it. And then that half bow at the Modim. Those are the only physical pieces of choreography during the Amidah when it's being repeated. It's a good time for a bathroom break. <laughs> yeah, Joel. Do you, do you know where the tradition of standing up, of staying up there for when more Aliyah comes from? Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes so much more extensively than staying up there for an Aliyah. It's pretty crazy. So here's the principle at play. When you're getting an Aliyah to the Torah or any of the honors that are happening up around the Torah, you're supposed to be Zariz la mitzvah. You're supposed to rush to do a mitzvah. This is a principle that applies, by the way, way beyond the Torah service. It's one of the my favorite pieces of mitzvot at Hanukkah. You can actually light Hanukkah candles, the whole origin of this, I could teach a whole class on it, maybe I will this year, but this whole idea that you can actually light Hanukkah candles until the last foot lifts from the marketplace. So long as people will see the candles in your window, you're good. But say the rabbis, you should still do it the minute you can, right? You should still do light it as soon as you're in the permissible window to light Hanukkah candles. It's dark enough to see the candles because we should be excited to do a mitzvah. I give that because I think that's a nice, like, it's a nice picture also of the, what you're supposed to, you know, it's like, um, not to be political about it, but it uh, just was a great image from this past week. People were joking about Biden running up to the, to the podium, right? Like, you, sh- you should be like a, a, a potential president-elect running to a podium when you, uh, that level of excitement when you've been called to the Torah, right? That, that's what you should look like, um, if possible, right? If your body allows you to, to do that, to sprint at the at the Torah. Um, and the opposite applies. Once you're done, you should you should be hesitant to want to leave it. So it gets really elaborate. You should linger up there for another Aliyah. You should even walk around. There's a whole, I had a wonderful, our chancellor was crazy about this at the seminary. He used to teach you should walk a certain way around the, around the Amud, around the reader's table so that you should like really go as quickly as possible when you're getting up to the Torah and slowly away from it. And when you're leaving the Torah, like when you're done with your Aliyah and you've lingered another Aliyah, 
you should take the most circuitous route back to your seat. Some people apply this principle. This is even in the Shulchan Aruch, don't quote me on it, but maybe I'll look it up before our next class. Some people even extend this principle to a circle around Shabbat services or weekday services themselves. When you're on your way to services, you should take the fastest route possible, right? You should like really be like, you shouldn't stop to say, greet people on the street. You should just go, 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 get to services and get and sit down. But when you're on your way out, you should take the slowest. I think Jews are very good at this. Like <laughs> linger and shul, stick around and then take the most circuitous route out of the synagogue possible because we should show that we want to linger in the space. Um, so it's kind of like concentric circles around that idea. Joel, it's all it's all related to that that concept. I'm glad you asked. That was a, that was a really great question. There are some um, traditions that evolve around that that are not like fixed traditions in our liturgy or any, in our in our literature, but evolved traditions that sort of are based on or respond to that principle. Like, why do the parents get the seventh aliyah most Shabbat mornings for B'nai Mitzvah? Because if the kid is getting the maftir, also known as the eighth aliyah, right, because it's the last aliyah. And we call the parents up for the seventh aliyah to the Torah. The parents will be required to linger up there and stay and be alongside their child when they're taking that aliyah, that next aliyah, that maftir aliyah to the Torah. Right? So it's kind of this evolution of like why the parents' names are fixed next to the seventh aliyah if the kid is taking the maftir aliyah. I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to go over a bunch of exceptional stuff like Hallel and Avinu Malkeinu, and we'll wrap up the Torah service itself. And if there's time, we'll move on to the next service for weekdays too. Um, you know, we questions. didn't talk about today. I don't want to stay later necessarily today, but we didn't talk about if it's a bar mitzvah on a weekday, if there's anything else that happens. Ah, yeah, that's that's great. It's actually a very short answer to that question, which is no. The only thing that might happen is, let's say it's a bar mitzvah, and I'll add to that list an ofruf or like a a, a pre wedding aliyah, mm-hmm. right? Or Shabbat chatan, Shabbat kalaz, or or a, that's the week after in the Sephardic tradition. Or if it's a baby naming or a bris, the only thing that's going to be added probably is a mishaberach, a blessing for that person taking the special aliyah right? There are actually lots of reasons for it. We also do that if somebody's about to take a trip to Israel or make Aliyah. Um, anybody who would come up for a special occasion, that's what we would add. The only other thing is we would, we'd skip Tachanu. I'm looking forward to next week. Thanks for sticking around. You guys are a great class. Keep asking questions. Email me in between. I'll see you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.